the new channel. The new channel. Hashtag TNC Now. The views, opinions, and insights expressed in the following shows are those of the host, producers, guests, and viewers. They do not necessarily reflect the position of the channel. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the new channel. Our passion transforms a community that sees all things new. I am Alpha Sanford and I'm streaming live from Boston, Massachusetts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, Mabuhai. Welcome to Once a Teacher, Always a Teacher on TNC. again can you believe it this is our last episode for season two thank you very much for always supporting the show uh, for those of you who are watching the replay or listening to uh, these episodes for the last two seasons my heart is full of gratitude to all of you all right folks today's guest is um not a stranger to all of you. We had her uh, for our first season and she talked about uh, equity. This time, uh, lots of things uh, are happening in the world of equity and uh, I decided to actually bring her back as our last speaker because I know that the word of world of equity really intersects in so many aspects. And in her work, she has incorporated many dimensions of things that we don't normally talk about, which is about compassion, um, authenticity, belongingness, all of those great things that we all need to know. 
So let me just give a refresher in terms of the background of our um, speaker today. So allow me to introduce to you our guest speaker today, Ms. Cindy Weeks Bradley. Cindy Weeks Bradley has over 20 years of data-driven experience in equity, including racial equity. She served as a teacher, dean, school-based manager. Um, she was also a Boston Principal Fellow. She served also as a special education assistant principal. She was a principal at a middle school. She was also a policy reviewer, a systems builder, analyst, education strategist, and associate lecturer, as well as the current founder and CEO of the equity process. We'll get to know more about the equity process later. Ms. Cindy Weeks Bradley holds a master's degree from Simmons University, an executive certificate in leadership and coaching from Brown University, and has taken numerous mindfulness courses. She is currently enrolled at Stanford University's C-Care, or the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. Right now, she is in the final stages of completing her capstone, bridging the gap between racism and humanity in our education system. So without further ado, I'd like to bring in our guest speaker for today, Ms. Cindy Weeks Bradley. Good morning, Alpha. Good afternoon. <laughs> Good evening. Good night, everyone. Hello. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you for being with us again on this wonderful day. I, we appreciate you just sharing your time and your wisdom to our viewers and listeners. Thank you. Okay. So tell us, Cindy, how are you? And most especially, tell us how have you been since the beginning of this school year and also since the last time we had you here on the show? Um, I'm doing well, you know, uh, often implementing some of the skills that I've learned over the course of the last couple of years, especially during COVID, um, like my mindfulness uh, breathing and meditation and uh, being compassionate with myself as I would be to a friend. Um, time to just call for that. So uh, since the beginning of the school year, I think I've been doing well. Uh, I don't feel too much stress um, as far as school's concerned there. I do have a few personal things going on, which may make me need to breathe a little more, but uh, the school business is fine. That's great. Now, what's new with your company, The Equity Process? I don't really have much this new this year. It's just a continuation of executive coaching, uh, leadership coaching, equity audits, professional development, and really meeting people where they are, uh, surveys, testing the, the culture of schools, or really assessing the culture of schools is really an enhancement um, set of tools that we offer. We're not there to really judge or tell people exactly what to do. It's recommendations based on the data and mainly just supporting them, meeting where they meeting them where they are and helping them move to the next level. And they determine them and their data determine, as well as, you know, global expectations, what the next level really looks like. Oh, that's wonderful. 
Um, Cindy, for those of, uh, um, of our viewers and listeners who don't know about the equity process, um, I know I've heard a few of the services is what I would say uh, yeah. just a few minutes ago, uh, but can you just summarize to our uh, viewers and listeners uh, what does the equity process as a company do? Well, it's really, well, we do a lot uh, working with public schools, working with private school, um, working with nonprofit institutions. And right now we're starting to work with private institutions as well, um, offering services such as professional development, helping people to understand equity um, and racial equity and ethnic equity and microaggressions and harm and how all of those things impact individuals who have been marginalized due to no fault of their own for years and centuries and decades. But I think what's a little different about how we do it is we really infuse compassion and uh, mindfulness, mindfulness attitudes. We really try to embody them as the you know consultants and as the CEO. And we really engage in ways to help others embody them as well. So that we're clear on what the expectations are in the most kind and nurturing ways. Um, but we need to be stern, then we have to be stern as well, because we don't want to continue harm or even build a bridge mm. to harm. And I think that's the part that sometimes get a little sticky. People think compassion just as one side, which is like, oh, it's really tender and, you know, soft and sweet. But compassion has another side, too. And it's where you have to be firm and draw boundaries. And it's actually referred to as fierce uh, compassion. Mm. And fierce compassion is the challenging aspect of the work that we do every day in schools and organizations mm -hmm. that call for people to stand up and be there for one another. I love it. Actually, I think you just read my mind because our uh, topic for today is really about uh, compassionately living authentically in the intersection of equity and belonging. And I wanted to really ask, these are really big words. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to really understand how are they different? Um, I, I, I actually would like to ask you, how would you define these words? Let's start off with compassion, which I think you started to actually talk about. Yeah. And then living authentically, and then equity, and then belonging. If you can just... Uh, you know, break it down for all of us. That would be great. It's really a great question because I think compassion encompasses all of those, such as equity and belonging and uh, so forth. And the reason why is because compassion means that you are inclusive. You, you know, you are no different. You, there is common humanity, right? You are aware. You're, you're mindful. It means that, you know, you're open. It means that you're curious. It means that, um, you can set boundaries, you know, and not boundaries to hurt, but um, boundaries to support and help. Mm -hmm. And when I think about, you know, the difference between compassion and empathy, there's just one or a few words that really guide. And that is empathy. We, we may feel what the other person feels or we're able to put ourselves in their shoes. And with compassion, the I wouldn't say the difference is, but the enhancement is, is that we act on that, right? So we're not holding all of those feelings inside, but we begin to really think about how do we stand up and stand forward and stand with? 
how do we support and how do we do that in ways that matter to the individual or individuals or the system or the cause or whatever it may be at the time. When I'm thinking about equity, on the other hand, I'm thinking about really ensuring that we're centering those who have been marginalized for decades and centuries when we do our work and we're making sure that they get what they need. Um, it's all the people that often feel othered and excluded. And by the way, compassion does not exclude. It's always mm -hmm. inclusive. And when you do those things in a way where you're humble, um, I think that's where belonging comes in because you are being inclusive and you give people a sense of or a feeling that they're a part of the community because you honor who they are, you celebrate who they are, you believe in who they are, which leads to authenticity, which is you just get to be, you know, you just get to be you, you just get to be who you are at the core without judgment, free of judgment from others and total acceptance and tolerance isn't the word that we kind of go towards, but inclusivity is the word and people don't hold on to things and they don't treat you poorly because you're not like them or you have a different uh, perspective or your attitude is different or you look different or your gender is different or your sexual orientation is different. None of that really matters when we're being compassionate. None of that really matters when we're being inclusive. None of that really matters when we're being equitable. And all of that matters when we want to talk about like, how do you ensure that people feel as though they belong? Oh my gosh, that's just amazing. Uh, you just had a way of defining these words beautifully, Cindy. <laughs> and uh, what I took away from it is just uh, living authentically. It's just being yeah. and all of these four different dimensions. They really mesh in when it's done um, just the way it is. And the word humility is huge as an aspect of these is what I heard yeah. from, from you. Yeah. So thank yeah, you. You have to be humble because oftentimes we have an inner critic that may tell us negative things and that has nothing to do with the critic on the outside that's often telling us negative things either. So mm -hmm. it's really about like honing in on your inner guide and saying mm -hmm. and trusting. Uh, that's one of the nine mindful attitudes, trust. But you're not just trusting others. Forget about that. You're trusting yourself. I'm trusting myself to lead the way. I'm trusting myself to be. I'm trusting my journey. I'm trusting my path. And I'm trusting that I'm going to do this my way. And I think that that is the biggest like um, challenge that we have because we're taught not to trust ourselves. We're taught not to have a sixth sense. We're taught not to listen to our inner voice. We're taught other things like what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste, and sometimes what we, we, we touch, but not often what we feel. And uh, trusting yourself is getting back into the body and thinking about what you feel and how those feelings resonate and play out. Mm -hmm. Was there ever a moment in your life as a simple human being? We're talking about, you know, simple human being taking away all the different titles that you have, all your wonderful accomplishments, but just being a simple human being. Um, when you realize that compassion is a priority in, in living, I would say yes, but I probably didn't have a name for it because I was a child, <laughs> okay, you yeah. know, and, and I think it's one of those things that you learn, take you back to childhood, your whimsical years, your happy moments, your moments where your teacher's pencil fell and you rush to the front of the room to pick it up. Right. 
that's yeah. compassion. Or your friend is crying and you lean over to see if they're okay. That's compassion. Um, as we age, we do that less and less and less and less because it's really not tolerated in society as a core value. So what we tend to do is hide behind that and be less vulnerable because compassion is often not just suffering, but being vulnerable. And we don't want to be vulnerable as adults. As children, it's okay to be vulnerable, but we're taught very harshly, like as we age, that mm, that's not a core value. But if you listen to people who have done a ton of research in vulnerability, like Brene Brown, for instance, she talks about being vulnerable and that vulnerability leads to love and true, true, true love and uh, compassion and humility and really gets you to the core of humanity, which is where we all need to be right now, especially in this day and age. That's so true. I love Brene Brown. Um, she's just an amazing person. So thank you for bringing her and her name into this space. Um, Cindy, I am curious, uh, all of these four dimensions that, you know, um, we've referred in the topic for today, when did you have an aha moment in putting all of these great concepts together in the context of life and education? I think I've had so many aha moments along the way. It's hard to just pinpoint one. But I know the most pivotal moment that I could think about is when I decided to leave my position as a principal and without a job. That was probably the most daring decision I ever made because I had no idea what I was going to do next. Mm -hmm. um, but during that time, I had a, a term that said, everyone's like, well, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Do you have a job? I'm like, no, I don't have a job, you know, because I really didn't. And uh, my term was, I'm just going to go love on myself because I'm, I'm really, I've like really moved far away from that as a principal. I had to love on, you know, thousands of kids over the years that I did not give birth to. I had to love on parents that felt like, you know, they had no seat at the table. They were never heard. I had to deal with politics. I had to love on teachers. I had to discipline a lot. Um, and I think that it, it kind of hardened me more than I wanted to be hardened. Uh, and when I made the decision to leave that position is when my life was like, okay, well, you don't have nothing, girl, but your family. So what are you going to do now? Mm -hmm. um, and it gave me an opportunity to stop doing and really become mindful about and intentional about, you know, the steps that I'll be making next. Um, and that led me to the state where I discovered I was an angry black lady. And I, you know what, everyone around me should have been angry too. And the, the angry black woman term should mm -hmm. not be a term. It should just be like, we are angry. We are angry that society has fallen and we're not doing enough to support, you know, changing it. Um, and when I recognized that I could say like, hey, I am angry. I'm angry at how we're treating, you know, margin folks that have been marginalized. Cause they're not just marginalized. They like literally have been marginalized by, the majority um, of society, it, you know, which are predominantly white people, especially in America, they've been marginalized for decades and centuries and years. And when I can say I'm angry about that and I can name it, that's when I knew I needed to do something about it, which led me to go back to school, which led me to quit my job again. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were like, Cindy, what are you doing? I, I'm going to figure it out, but I know this isn't it, right? I know this isn't it right now because I have to be able to give to my family in the most compassionate ways. And I have to give to myself 
like I give to my friends all the time. And I couldn't do it being that frustrated fighting for children. And I fought for children for years. So it felt like, how am I going to fight for children differently, which will be more effective, which will allow me to be whole and allow me to support the people in this household. Um, and that just led me down the path of becoming a more mindful practitioner. And it led me down the path of, you know, really understanding the world from, uh, you know, uh, probably like, you know, a million feet above, like really uh, thinking about that seat. And it allowed me to really hone in on what compassion is and what it means to me and how can I use it to support uh, leaders and teachers and students and families. Wow. If there's a, an icon that I would put right now, I'd put like a that love icon. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> love is universal. I've learned really, that too. It really is. So in your years working around this concept, um, and I know you are masterfully creating this concept, what was your biggest discovery? And whatever is this discovery, how does this correlate to the current situation of public education and even the overall mental health or well-being of our students and yeah. our educators. There's a curriculum called the Nonviolent Curriculum. And mm -hmm. uh, my friend and I, uh, her name is Elizabeth Redley, like we have like the deepest conversations about education and how we'd make it better. And the nonviolent curriculum has a list of needs that mm -hmm. are not being met. And when you start to look at those lists of needs that are not being met, and you compare them to what I hear from students or what I hear from educators or what I hear from, you know, parents, you understand that there are a lot of needs, a lot of psychological and social emotional needs that are not being met. And I felt like the quickest line to getting to meet them was compassion, mm -hmm. understanding the science of compassion and understanding how compassion can really change your, your the patterns of your, your brain and, and how you respond and with gratitude. And the more you do it, the more you change and it becomes who you are at the core. And when that becomes that shift back to those childhood whimsical years happen and you become more compassionate with you, then you can become more compassionate with others. And that is the science of it all. So if we can become more compassionate practitioners, then we will begin to be more compassionate with students. And therefore we will begin to be more compassionate with parents, our families and everyone around us. But it starts here first. That's right. Oh, thanks, Cindy. Um, based from your observation, what are or what's happening are across the state that are best practices around compassion and equity? Or is there even any school that's right now? <laughs> um, I truly believe one of the things that we do is, um, especially as educators, uh, we look for perfection. Okay. And as mortals, there, there's no word as perfection. We're all going to make mistakes, right? And if we are vulnerable with those mistakes and give ourselves the opportunity to lean in or fail forward, we'd understand that. But we're so busy covering up and trying to be perfect that we negate to understand that mistakes are really for us to learn how to do things a little better, right? Or not do things at all. Um, with that being said, there are tons of schools all over the state that have leaders. Um, and I, I believe it starts with the leadership. I do not believe that it just 
starts with the children. Children are naturally most compassionate most of the time anyways. Um, mm -hmm. They learn different things at you know, school and home and the playground and out in the stores and on TV and whatever that may shift that. But the core essence of a child is compassion. Um, but I believe when we have compassionate leaders like the superintendents, right, um, their behavior really um, trickles down and their expectations to the staff. The, the, the school leaders, the school-based leaders, then they're compassionate and that shares and shows with the teachers and the staff at that level who intend then to treat the children with the utmost respect by defining what respect is in that school and how it's valued. And I work with a lot of compassionate leaders. It is like one of the most um, beautiful things that I do. And I never knew that I would have this opportunity. And I look back at quitting my principal job. And I know that if I did not leave that position, I would not be so blessed right now to be with the leaders that I have. I have leaders in Lunenburg who are compassionate. I have leaders in Linfield who are compassionate. I have leaders in Hingham that are compassionate. I have leaders, I don't want to forget, I mean, all over the state, I would, you know, I do some work with this organization called MPY. And I see leaders and leaders in this case may not be superintendents alone that show up, but counselors and teachers that really try to take it back to their schools in ways that matter. So the state has a lot of compassionate people. Um, I don't think that they have a platform necessarily mm -hmm. to be uh, outwardly compassionate. They don't have a platform to say perfection is overrated. They don't have a platform to say, go on out there and be vulnerable. They don't have a platform that says, you need to lift one another. They don't have a platform that has the tender side and draws some real strict boundaries. Um, and if we give them the platform, we would see great things happen all over the state, not just in pockets, because I believe the people are here they're ready to work and they want to do the work. It's just they're often judged and criticized for how they do the work. And it it really breeds a lot of fear um, within them. That's wonderful. So, Cindy, um, for districts and schools that are not quite there when it comes to the work of uh, compassion, how would they start building more compassionate schools and districts? I'll tell you. Uh, I know I forgot a yes, lot of schools. So if I forgot naming some schools, understand that it wasn't that I didn't just name you. If I'm working with you, you're compassionate. Let me put that out there because I don't want anyone to feel excluded. Um, I just said the few names that came to me at first and it was in no particular order. And we have, you know, a limited time. Anyways, um, I think one of the things we just need to do is be authentic. You know, I, I... I don't know. I've been doing this for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I found very few people that go into the field of education and don't have compassion somewhere in their bosom. Right. It's like right there. Um, but it's about really allowing it to come out. So it's creating safe um, and brave spaces within school, not just safe, but brave. It's thinking about the psychological safety of the adults in the building. It's thinking about the psychological safety of the parents. It's about listening at your, uh, there's three levels to listen. It's about listening at level three, not just level one. Like level one is we listen to respond. That's a little combative. Level three is like we're listening and we're listening with most of our senses because we really want to understand the perspective of whoever is talking. Like their voice is important. Um, their face is important. Their, their heart is important. So it's really having leaders listen at that level three 
um, classroom teachers listen to students at that level three, having students listen to each other at that level three. And um, at the end of the day, building a culture that is really centered on kindness and naming it um, and really bringing in the stakeholders to name it. So in this, you know, classroom, in this school, in this district, we're going to be kind. Let's define kind. Mm -hmm. And when we're not being kind, let's call each other in on it. We're not calling mm -hmm. out because calling out can be unkind. But how do we then bring you into the conversation to talk about when you were not kind? And the best way to do that is talk about the impact of not being kind, because when we're in situations where kindness is not there, um, there's usually a negative impact. And if we don't tackle that, it can last for a long, long time. That's right. It could lead to trauma. It, it does lead to trauma. And talking about trauma, one of the things I've talked about for years was just secondary trauma. And I've recently been doing some uh, research on it. And I think some of our staff just suffer from secondary trauma. And our kids may, our kids' trauma, mm -hmm. students' trauma may trigger their trauma. And that's what secondary trauma really is at the end of the day. Um, but really thinking about secondary trauma and knowing that it's a real, real thing. Thank you. Thanks, Cindy. Now, how about tips? Uh, you mentioned that uh, building compassion at schools really starts uh, from the top, from the yeah. leaders. Um, what would be some good tips that you can give to school-based leaders, the principals, superintendents, to prioritize equity and compassion and belongingness to all students? So some tips that I've uh, that I do give is that um, I believe all school leaders should take a mindfulness course. Like that's number one. Like you have to become aware of what's going on around you, and mindfulness allows you to gain that awareness. But it also allows you to embody um, a lot of you know the mindful attitudes and practice those. So I always tell my school leaders like you have. I suggest you take mindfulness, and I'll tell you, um, they all do. Every yeah. single one of them, to the best of my knowledge, does, and they communicate with me about it. Um, and who doesn't is very religious, so they may be like, okay, well, I have, you know, my higher power, so I don't need that. But other than that, um, they do participate in mindful activities or mindful training. The other thing I tell them is, you know, once again, you have to listen. You really have to listen and not with your ears, but get an understanding of what is going on in your buildings, what is going on in your culture, like what is really happening. And it's not what people necessarily say, but watch how they move and look for that alignment. You have to be able to develop your core values for the district and really know that when those core values are made, um, your, your, your annual goals for teachers, for leaders, for anyone that has an evaluation, should center around those core values. So we know that we're looking for them every single day um, during observations and casual conversations, and we're able to have those conversations. You have to create a atmosphere of, of where everyone can speak. And when harm is actually named, that you call that, that in because that's not a value, right? Harm is never a value. And if it's not a value, it should be easier to talk about. Um, you have to understand that uh, there's this thing called um, difficult conversations and there's training out there for difficult conversations. But beyond difficult conversations, there's courageous conversations um, and beyond courageous conversations, there's compassionate conversations. So you can get some training in difficult conversations. You can get some training in courageous conversations, but without having 
uh, uh, some training and compassionate conversations, you often get frustrated. Um, you have to have a way to measure this. If you can't measure it, how do you even know that it's working? How do you even know what you're doing? So you must have a way to measure it. And if you find uh, during this measuring process, and it's not a judgment when you're measuring, it's more of a, where are we? What are we doing? How do we make it better? How do we continue to do what we're doing, right? Um, and while you're measuring this, um, you have to make sure that you're sticking to those values that you, you that you named as well. So it, it you know, it's it's really a process. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, it's a long, long journey, but you have to be in for it, I think, for the long haul. We're really rewiring our brains to do, you know, the thing we call just humility, compassion, humanity, um, treating people, like you said, like people. Yeah. Cindy, it's my first time to actually hear about compassionate conversation. Um, I know there's a training um, that's out there, right? But uh, can you give us just a tiny summary, <laughs> a quick summary of how does uh, a compassion conversation look like? Um, there is no tiny summary, Alpha, but I will... <laughs> <laughs> Your questions are very deep, so there is no quick. Um, but a compassionate conversation would include um, naming it, right? Naming uh -huh. whatever it is bo bothering you, hurting you. Uh, we call it suffering. So whatever is causing the suffering, you would actually have an opportunity to name what is causing the suffering. Mm -hmm. um, you can talk about why, but you get an opportunity to just say it all in about you know a time frame. Let's say three minutes. You have three minutes to say was causing you, you know, the pain. Um, then you have an opportunity afterwards to, uh, that individual will have an opportunity to embrace it. Mm -hmm. Then uh, the people or the person that's listening would have an opportunity to acknowledge it and um, really stand with that person. We're not there to tell you that it's wrong. Um, and then you have an opportunity to release it. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the quickest way I can tell you, but it's really giving people an opportunity to share what that suffering is and how it's causing them suffering in their own way. And they don't have to share it in the common language of the school. Like if, mm -hmm. if you spoke another language and you felt most comfortable speaking about that in the moment, it's just that we are listening to you. Um, and then you can really, you know, acknowledge what you said. And um, then you can offer yourself some some love and compassion that like you would give to a friend. Um, and then of course we would acknowledge you and then you would ultimately be able to release it. Um, and that is the difference between all of those conversations. We may have a difficult conversation and we mm -hmm. often leave those conversations still holding on, not letting go, uh, one of the mindful attitudes, but not letting go. We can have a courageous conversation, but once again, we leave those conversations still with things on our chest that we need to discuss. Right. But in a compassionate conversation is when we really intentionally name it, um, give ourselves some love for being able to, you know, hold on to it and, and also share it and then release it and uh, being acknowledged by the people around us because that's all they can really do. And really then releasing it, you know, to, um, the universe or higher power, or however you want to release it, just let it go. And there's science behind that that really says that 
it works. And uh, in training, we all felt better after doing that. So it's yeah. like immediately there's like a feeling of release that comes along. And that's the difference with the compassionate conversation. I love it. I think uh, just uh, getting the summary from you regarding that, I feel like that is in so much in alignment in terms of my values and, uh, you know, the directions that I would like to go when it comes to having conversations. Yeah. Um, so do you offer that, Cindy? <laughs> I do. I do. I do. I do that a lot in my executive coaching. You okay. Know, because it's a different executive, executive coaching. People come to you and say, hey, I need some help. Okay. Right. And, you know, it's a different kind of atmosphere. In schools, it's often difficult to get to because there's so many different layers. There's usually a group and you have to work through people being vulnerable in schools. And mm-hmm. um, and then you have to work through that trust, not that inner trust, but right. that trust of the room. Uh, but the one-on-one, I, I do it all the time and it works. Oh, very good. Okay. Um, I'd like to take a break, but when we come back, I want to talk about belonging in the workplace. And in this case, uh, in the workplace, in the public school setting or in the education setting. All right. right. So see you in a bit, Cindy. Folks, we'll be right back in a few minutes. Juan Lu and his puppets face to face with special guests Makata Tawanan, Jess Box, and the Lunaria Marionette Show. Salita, alam mo tito Juan Lu kung mala ako, nagsasalita ka ng isa. <laughs> kung wala ako, wala kang masusuot. Kung wala ako, wala kang nakakain. <laughs> November 13, Sunday, 7 p.m., at the La Verdad Auditorium in Apalit, Pampanga. Buy your tickets now and see you soon, face to face.
The new channel is an online alternative new media platform of online shows for people on the go. Please watch all our shows as seen on screen. Imagine having your own show, your own playlist, your own content, but we make it easier for you. TNC aims to transform the lives of our viewers through engaging, authentic, and original content. Our channel is a responsible, global, 24-over-7 platform that showcases Filipino talent, global influencers, cultural intelligence, and ingenuity. Please continue to watch Once a Teacher, Always a Teacher, on selected Saturdays at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can watch live or on the replay via Facebook or YouTube. You can follow us on IG, listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search hashtag TNC now. For sponsorships, please email now at thenewchannel.com or send us a DM. Enjoy these life-changing shows because we made them for you. Also, we would like to announce in Manila, we have the Oktoberfest going on until 10-23. If you're in Manila, please join them outdoors for a charity bazaar and spend good times at TNC's first ever face-to-face -face public event. TNC laid out fun activities across three days and you can begin your holiday shopping. At the same time, you can hear your favorite songs from our hashtag Jam at Home buskers going live face-to-face -to -face too. You can also drive by the Mayflower Parking Greenfield District in the heart of the Tiger City this coming weekend, October 21, 22, and 23 from 4 p.m. 12 midnight that is in manila time entrance is free plus many surprises and giveaways for those who will go so let's go all right folks uh, thank you for still staying with us i'm gonna bring in our guest miss cindy weeks bradley and this time we're going to talk about belonging in the workplace. Hi, Cindy, again. Hi, Alpha. Okay, so let's talk about that. How do we teach people the concept of belonging in the workplace? And uh, what do some leaders need to do in order to make sure that all of their staff members, particularly educators, feel that they truly belong? Wow, that's a <laughs> that's a pretty deep question, Alpha. <laughs> so, um, it's really layered. There's not like one thing that you can do, or you know, and it all depends really on understanding, you know, your 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 people. That's uh -huh. probably the best way to put it. You need to understand your people. Um, what are the needs of your people? Um, what are the cultures of your people? What are the ethnicities of your people? What are their religious backgrounds? You know, um, how do they identify um, both race and even, you know, uh, sexual orientation? You need to understand 
your people? What do they value? What do they like? Why are they there? Mm -hmm. Um, And ensure that your people are a part of everything that you do on a regular basis. Uh, You need to be able to celebrate your people authentically, honor your people in ways that matter to them, incentivize your people uh, to make them feel as though they belong. You need to just let your people be who they are at the core. You need to name the values of the organization and ensure that you align it with your people, even during the hiring process. You know, sometimes you go into hiring and we don't think about the merit of who we're hiring, like what value will they bring, you know, their background, we may get caught up on a title, but then that personality is not a fit. Um, we may get caught up on, you know, a race, but their their uh, credentials aren't a fit. Uh, we may get caught up on, I don't know, their gender, but really and truly their skill set is not a fit, you know? So when you think about what merit really means to the organization, you have to ensure that your people have what it takes to carry out the the mission, the vision, the values of what you have centered in order to uh, run your company. And I think that's one thing that I do really well. Like if you're not mindful, don't bother coming to the equity process, right? I don't want your foolishness. Like you're not going to fight are peaceful people. We just want to do the good work and, you know, and make a difference. So if you're the person that wants to be there because it's cool or, you know, it's you're not going to be a part of the organization and not because I'm excluding you, but because your values don't mirror the values of the people there. Mm-hmm. And and my consultants are very clear. Like, do they believe in mindfulness? Like if I bring someone new, like, do they believe in mindfulness? Um, so that has now become a, a merit, a credential, um, to be a part of, of the organization. Do they believe, can, do they understand that equity is, is different? It's not racial equity, but it's really equity, meaning we're looking out for all. Um, you have to understand some baseline, um, values, uh, in order to be with me and the people that, uh, I work with on a regular basis. So really understanding who your people are what makes them tick, what makes them happy, what brings them joy, uh, making sure laughter is in the workplace, um, mm-hmm. making sure they can show up as themselves, very professional, but as themselves as often as possible. Um, the last time we spoke, we spoke about the VIA characters. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> even knowing what your top five are for your VIA or Brene's Brown's values, knowing what, what your personal values are, mm-hmm. or even looking at, you know, nonviolent communications, like list of, of needs, knowing what your needs are and being able to articulate those uh, really helps an organization have the right people for the job. And in schools, it'll be the right people to support other people's children. And in an organization, it just may be to provide that service or, you know, sell that product. Thanks, Cindy. You're welcome. Now, I'm going to ask you again, what would be your advice to... You know, people of power in schools, districts, and state level, when it comes to inclusion and compassion at the workplace. Yeah, there are a lot of ways to put this, and um, I I can be very uh, complex, but there is a leader in Massachusetts right now who has summed it up in two different words, and that's outrageous love, and his name is Dr. Holly, and um, I learned this from 
the, you know, in, in, in Linfield, I work and we were talking a lot about kindness and the superintendent went away to a training and she came back. She was like, oh my goodness, Cindy, I heard about, you know, someone talked about outrageous love and that sound like you, we're going to have outrageous love in Linfield and blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't matter, you know, it's like this intent and impact, right? When you get all excited and I can tell you that this particular superintendent like literally is working towards outrageous love. Will she fail? Probably like that's life is whatever. You're going to fail. Like that is inevitable. Failure is inevitable. Right. But what will she do when she fails? She'll pick herself up like she often does and go again and learn from it. Right. And she does that through the lens of outrageous love. And she tells her people about outrageous love and her laugh is infectious and you can feel outrageous love from this lady when she laughs. So um, there, this, there's this leader called Dr. Holly that, that does trainings in Massachusetts as well. And he may not name it compassion, but he summed it up in two words, outrageous love. And I think that's what we need right now. We just need to really think about how do we love students outrageously? How do we fall in love with our staff despite their differences? How do we view perception and understand that there's no there's no but or or, but there's an and. So we're being inclusive. I see this and you see that. So it's both. It's okay. Um, my friend Redley tells me all the time, well, Cindy, two truths can be true. Mm. Two truths can be Great. true. Um, and understanding that. And I think those are the 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 sort of skills and understanding and um beliefs that you need to go into to this work, both inside schools and inside organizations. Outrageous love is how I would sum it up. I love it. Outrageous love. Outrageous love. Uh, that's going to be my homework after yeah. this episode. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It, okay, we acknowledge that you are a Black woman, Cindy, you know, so I'm not saying you don't acknowledge that. We embrace it, right? Yeah. We yeah. celebrate it, right? We honor it. Mm -hmm. And how we honor it is by offering genuine, authentic, heartfelt, outrageous love. I love it. Um, so how about, uh, you, you just mentioned the word authentic, and I'm curious right now, Cindy, um, is there a system of getting to a level of authenticity, both at the workplace, and then later on at home, or actually from home going to the workplace. Compassion, you suffer a lot, right? So you suffer and 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 you suffer some more, but you stick to that suffering. You work through that suffering. And remember what I said, compassion is actually putting the action, right? To that suffering. Right. So you are, you are suffering, right? And yeah. you're often suffering alone and you're uh -huh. questioning yourself, but you stick with yourself and you learn to trust yourself and you, you build confidence. Uh, a lot of people will tell me often, oh, you're so courageous. And I think of courage a lot of ways, um, or you're so confident. Yeah, I'm confident because I have to be. I'm courageous because things happen and I look around the room and everyone's sitting pretending like they didn't see what I saw when you know that you saw it, right? But, but I spoke up. Um, so it's not always that you feel comfortable. It's not always that you feel good, but it's always that you have that thing inside of you that's saying, this isn't right. And right. you got to do something about it. Right. And that's how your confidence builds. So after a while you do that and you suffer and you do it some more and you suffer and you do it some more and you suffer and you're like, I'm just going to suffer. So whatever. <laughs> and then, 
you know, I, I relocated, like I literally, I relocated my life. So I'm just going to suffer. Like, I know I'm going to suffer. I know my mouth is going to get me in trouble at work. Right. I know I'm going to say things that are going to hurt people's feelings. I know I have to recognize the impact because that is important. I know I have to be able to be, you know, able to apologize and do it like true my own Cindy self. Right. And I know I'm going to suffer. And, and, and then I'm okay with suffering. Like it got to the point. I'm like, you know what? If suffering means I'm going to speak up for that kid, then fine. I'll Mm -hmm. suffer. If suffering means that I'm going to pull my car over and help the elderly cross the street, then I'm going to suffer. If suffering means that, you know, I'm going to wear a mask outside and people are going to curse me, then I'm going to suffer. So I already made up in my head, I'm just going to suffer. That's just what it is. And then the world opened up. It was like, Mm -hmm. I'm no longer like suffering. Oh, and if I do feel that I can breathe and it changes my nervous system. And if I do feel suffering, I can meditate and get to the bottom of why and recognize chances are it wasn't me and it's really not about me. Like, and when you get to that place and you're like, okay, I'm just going to be me, you know, regardless, I'm just going to be me because I can't play anyone as well, right, in this world as I can play myself. I am me and Mm -hmm. I want to be me and I don't want to be anyone else. And being me is actually fun. You know, and and people expect me. So they're like, oh, that's just Cindy, you know, so it is what it is. So you get to be yourself by understanding um, that suffering is really inevitable. Um, Mm -hmm. And you get to be yourself by understanding common humanity. You're not the only one suffering, boo-boo. We are all suffering, right? (laughs) Yeah. And and that common humanity really opens up uh, a window to suffering like unbelievably like no other right so this window opens oh i'm not the only one that lost a parent um like i i recently lost my mom and i lost my dad two years ago and i was all in my feelings like two years and poor me and poor cindy and then i spoke to someone and they were like you know i feel for you i'm so sorry my mom passed and my dad passed three months later and then i'm like oh wow I at least had two years. Then I spoke to someone else really close to me and her parents died in a month of each other. Wow. She explained she never got to mourn either one because it was all this work that she had to do. And all of that humbled me. So it's really like, here I am, poor me, poor me, lost my parents in two years. And it's still sad, don't get me wrong, and it's still hurtful, but I understand you know, why they're not with me. I understand there's a higher power. I understand that God in the universe takes care of Cindy. I understand that there are people out there that are in worse positions than me. And my heart goes out to them as much as it goes out to me. So we, that common humanity, that thread, it's never you alone. There's always someone out there that is suffering just as much or worse than you. And that just humbles me to no end. Mm-hmm. You have to offer to be authentic, Alpha. Right. Thank you for your wisdom. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. The, very, very deep. Thank you, Cindy. I feel like you have a lot of like inspiring stories that you can share to our viewers and listeners. But will you be able to share one uh, inspiring story uh, that uh, continues to propel you in this work? 
I would say it's my friend Redley. I don't know. This is the first one that came to my mind. Oh, we were, <laughs> we were in the middle of COVID and I was dealing with my father and she literally was like, okay, we're going to research and we're going to do this. Like she's a research queen, right? I research, but she's like, whoa. Um, and we're, we're like reading, you know, <laughs> papers from the UN and all over the world. And we're in China. We, we left America to understand what COVID was to deal with my dad. Right. We like, we became doctors overnight. Like it was okay. <laughs> But then after he passed, Redley called me and she was like, Cindy, this is going to be a year of yes. Mm. I'm like, what is a year of yes, girl? Like, what are you talking about? So we had this conversation about Shonda Rhimes and a year of yes and how she got to be who she is. She just said, I'm just going to say yes. And it was a year of yes. And I began saying yes to just about everything that I thought I could handle mm-hmm. without being overwhelmed, like staying really like moving out of my comfort zone. There's this mm-hmm. these, these zones in mindfulness that we talk about your panic zone or your overwhelming zone, your learning zone and your comfort zone. So the year of yes for her and I really meant moving out of our comfort zone or our zone of expertise and dabbling in this learning zone, this challenging zone and not ever becoming overwhelmed. Like that was one of our, our values or our packs. Like we made a pack and, Anything that meant that we were going to gain a new experience or learn something new or try something different, it was a year of yes. And that year of yes turned into two years of yes, going on three years of yes. And we're both still saying yes together. Um, And I think that that journey has taught me a lot. And just that one commitment to a year of yes without any expectations. It was like, it's going to be a year of yes, and we're going to be millionaires at the, it wasn't nothing like that. It was just like, whatever happens, happens, but this is going to be a year of yes. And it's now three years, going on three years of of yes. Oh, I love it. And shout out to your friend, Elizabeth Redley. I heard her name at least twice. I thought three times during this episode. So would love to have, uh, I'd love to have Elizabeth Redley in the show and uh, get her wisdom and share her wisdom to our viewers as well. She's an awesome person. She's much more shy um, (laughs) than I am, but maybe you could convince her, you know, cheers to another yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love it. All right, Cindy, I can't believe we're coming up to the end of this show. Um, I feel like uh, people, especially education leaders, would want to get in touch with you and really learn more from your wisdom. I'm feeling that there are sense of spirituality here, even some yeah. uh, insights uh, from Buddhism and uh, yeah. You know, um, all the different concepts of many religions, uh, but spirituality. um, Definitely. Yeah, it's definitely what I've uh, felt and heard from you throughout. So, uh, but more than that, I feel like uh, uh, based on this conversation, conversation, there's truly a need for building and developing more compassionate schools that really value equity and belongingness and inclusion. So where can they find you? Yes. So they can find me uh, on my website, right? Or they can just Google my name, Cindy, C-Y-N-D-I. Last name is Weeks. It's two of them. W-E-E-K-E-S and then Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. 
or they can just go to the equityprocess.org, which is my website, and uh, just fill out a quick little form to get in contact with me. And we have plenty of compassionate tools. I've actually developed about two or three of them now that are all copyrighted and all can be worked within schools and different organizations to cultivate compassion in the workplace, cultivate compassion for yourself, cultivate authenticity, and cultivate outrageous love for yourself, your family, and for students, because it starts with self before it goes and extends to anyone else. Well, thank you, Cindy. You're welcome, Alpha. And thank you for the time that you have given us today. Um, my wish for you and the equity process is that you continue to shine light to, to many who are still in darkness. Oh, that's so sweet. That's my wish for me too. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Alpha. You're welcome, Cindy. Um, I believe your work is so important in this world where there are lots of uh, anger, lots of uh, unkindness. So we need your light. And lots of suffering. That's right. That's yeah. right. All right, folks. Thanks again, Cindy. And to all of our viewers and listeners, we thank you for being with us. This is the end of our season two. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we will go into season three in the next few weeks. Uh, but we thank all of you for being with us. All right, folks, have a good day. Enjoy your day. And just as what uh, Cindy Weeks Bradley mentioned, or at least from this topic, leave, live compassionately. And I think I like the word peace. Peace, everybody. Peace, Alpha. <laughs> Peace. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Take care.